Welcome to episode 19 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this special holiday episode, I'm going to fill your stockings with my top five cyber incidents of 2020. So put on your ugliest Christmas sweater, get a cup of hot chocolate and cozy up to your favorite podcast device. So first off, as we reach the end of 2020 and uh, this holiday season, I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast and for telling your friends to listen. I hope it's been of value to you. I hope to continue to bring valuable information from the cyber world as far as how to protect yourself and your family and your businesses from becoming cyber victims in the future. Because let's be honest, in 2021, it is not going to get likely any better. If anything, it's probably going to get a little worse. So uh, we're going to talk today. I don't have a guest today. This is just, just going to be have me pontificating for the next half hour or so. Uh, and I want to talk about my top five cyber incidents of 2020. This is going to be the time of the year where there's going to be lists for everything. And you're going to see a lot of these type of uh, cyber incident type lists. People are going to do it on their podcast. I figured I'd do it myself because why not? Uh, I've looked at and dealt with and, and researched cyber incidents all year long. I continue to do so and we'll continue to do so for the foreseeable future. So hopefully this will give you an idea of kind of what the threats were for 2020 and likely point you to what to expect in 2021. But before I get to my top five choices, let me touch on some honorable mentions. One, and these are things that continue to occur. Uh, they're still serious problems, but they didn't quite make the top five list uh, because, uh, honestly, they weren't as noteworthy as the ones that I'm going to talk about. Uh, the first one is business email compromise, not any specific business email compromise per se, but rather the, the scheme in general. And what business email compromise is... Uh, is someone gets access to your corporate email account and then they are able to trick someone into sending a wire transfer to a fictitious invoice to a fictitious customer uh, to do to, to do some kind of purchase that is not legitimate. Uh, it's the bad guy making someone think it's legitimate. And then by the time you realize that this has occurred, uh, the money is long gone. This, this happens quite frequently. It is largely because of the lack of use or lack of uh, password, good password security and multi-factor authentication or lack of using it. You have a lot of accounts available online for bad guys and hackers to purchase and utilize where people have not changed their passwords in years use the same passwords over and over again or use them across different uh, login accounts. And so it makes it very easy for a bad guy to get access to an email account of your business. They then use that to pretend to be the CFO, CEO, and then cause the money to go out. There was a case, I didn't work it in, in Birmingham, but I got a call from a guy who knew somebody who knew me and he needed some advice. He was calling from California. This had happened to their company and they didn't realize it until they had sent out three wire transfers. And he basically said someone was was uh, impersonating the CFO and created three fictitious invoice payments that went through the business department of their company. And by the time they realized that these requests were fictitious, they had lost $2.5 million. In other words, $2.5 million had been wire transferred out of their company to somewhere overseas, and that money was gone. If you are a victim of business email compromise, it is unlikely you will get your money back. It is possible if within 24 hours you report it to IC3, the Internet Crime Complaint Center, 
uh, which is uh, located at www.ic3.gov. If you report it there within 24 hours, you may be able to get some of it or all of it back. If it's uh, you do it quick enough and you give them enough information, uh, they have a pretty good success rate of doing that, but it's not guaranteed. I'm actually going to do an, a podcast at the beginning of the year with a, a, a retired FBI agent who had a five-year undercover into the groups that do this kind of scam. And so it'll give you some insight into their motivations, how they do it. They're very organized very skilled, very talented, uh, and that's why this scam still continues to work is because of that particular uh, capability that they have. Uh, but again, this was not a top five for me for this year because uh, there just wasn't one big one that you looked and said, oh, wow, that's a problem. Everybody needs to know about it. The next one, next two really are, are similar scams that have been going on for years. They're, they're versions of the Nigerian email scams. They're just uh, expanded types of them. And these are going to be general elder scams and the bogus help desk scams. So I've dealt with this with a couple of friends of mine, uh, their parents recently, where the elderly parent either got a call or called a number which turned out to be fictitious seeking help from an, an online realtor, be it Amazon or Best Buy or what have you. And it goes to a the wrong number and the, the people get on and they sound very convincing and they get folks to send them, um, they get them to go to Walmart and purchase gift cards and they send them the gift card information. And the reason that a lot of these scams use gift cards is because once you have the numbers, it's really hard, it's actually almost impossible to reverse use of those cards once you have the number because the when you use an online realtor because it's a gift card there's no username account zip code anything that that matches to the gift card so it's very easy for them to use those uh in uh, without any kind of you know repercussions that occur to them simply because the gift cards are valid they work uh, and so that's why they're going to request them so if you ever ha call someone or get a call from someone claiming to be a help desk for your computer or claiming to be um, uh, something like something of that nature, and they're asking you for gift cards, question that. Uh, actually, you don't have to question it. You can pretty much figure out they're a scam artist, and you can hang up on them at that point. Uh, one of the one of the elderly relatives of, of uh, a friend I talked to uh, mentioned that the scammer had gotten them to download all sorts of apps onto their phone, which likely. Uh, were had the potential anyway to download passwords and usernames and account information and spy on the user of that phone and, and send the bad guys additional information down the future down the down the uh, in the future. So if again if you are talking to one of these folks and they want you to install an application onto your phone or your computer, question if that's the case. Now I'm like if you have HP an HP laptop or a Dell laptop and you call Dell support and you actually call the number on the web page for that company, you can. Pre be pretty safe that you are actually talking to a um, help desk person there. If you go to Google and you pick the first thing that pops up on Google and it doesn't go to the Amazon or the Best Buy or the Dell page, it just provides you an odd kind of uh, phone number that, and they say they're Dell support, question that. Go to the actual web page for the online realtor you're looking to use and, um, you know, uh, find the support number there directly. And actually, if you contact them through the webpage, that's even a better way to go. So just be aware of the bogus help desks and, 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 and things of that nature. So now to the top five, my top five um, cyber incidents of 2020. This is my opinion based on news I've read, things I've seen, and, and, the, and the amount of 
importance this partic- these particular incidents had on the, the general cybersecurity landscape. I went on LinkedIn and, and asked some folks to say, give me some ideas of what they thought theirs might be, uh, and I might use them on this. And most of the ones that responded, uh, I'm going to mention not those directly, but but think they were all, I'll be honest with you, they were all ransomware, um, specific ransomware incidents. And I'm going to talk about ransomware in my top five, but not by specifics specifically. So number five, though, is not a ransomware account. It's the Twitter account takeover, which occurred July of this year. And what this particular account or what this particular incident identified was how easy it was to use social engineering to get people to give you uh, password, change password information, and the importance of using good, strong passwords in multi-factor authentication. This is comes in at number five simply because of the individuals that were targeted in this particular, or rather, the individual accounts that were that were taken over as a result of this particular incident. And I should note that the 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 accounts themselves were not taken over through the actual user. In other words, some of the notable Twitter accounts that were taken over during this incident were. Uh, Joe Biden's Twitter account, uh, Kim Kardashian, Barack Obama, and Elon Musk's. Musk's they they were all taken over in a, in an effort to solicit digital currency for the bad guys. However, it wasn't those users whose information was was taken. So I'm going to kind of read from a from a story for this. But the social engineering that occurred on July 15th targeted a small number of employees through a phone spear phishing attack. So this was even an old school attack in that they were using phone spear phishing. They were calling employees at Twitter to try to get them to change the passwords for these accounts. So the successful attack required the attackers to obtain access to both the Twitter internal network as well as specific employee credentials that granted them access to Twitter's internal support tools. And that's really the golden goose of what you want if you're a bad guy, the support tools, because that gives you access to everything, user accounts, validating user accounts, and all that kind of stuff. Now, not all the employees that were targeted had permissions to use account management tools, so it was some of those... Uh, social engineered targets didn't really have the capability that the bad guys needed, but the attackers used the credentials of these guys to access internal systems and gain information about the process. So they weren't able to change anything, but with access to the employee's information, they were able to see kind of how the internal workings of Twitter worked. So this knowledge enabled them to target additional employees who had the access to account support tools that they wanted. And then using the credentials of these employees, they targeted 130 Twitter accounts um, tweeting ultimately from 45, accessing the direct message inbox of 36, and downloading the Twitter data of seven. So, you know, according to Twitter, what was a concern following the incident was who had access to their tools and the level of employees, employee success. The attack relied on significant and a concerted uh, attempt to mislead employees and exploit human vulnerabilities. And that is the key, really, quite honestly, to all successful cyber incidents is the exploitation of human vulnerabilities because it's going to be either getting your password, it's going to be um, get, having you having uh, someone who's in support change user information. Um, but it was a striking reminder to Twitter how important each person was in protecting their service. And that's some, kind of something I have mentioned quite a bit in my podcast is that if you enable your employees to understand what the threats are, the vulnerabilities that exist for threat actors to target them to cause you the problems to increase your risks, if you educate your employees as to those things, you can get them to reduce risk overall. Funny story that happened this week, I'm going to do a side, this is 
a little side, side news article. I just happened to see this this morning uh, when I was preparing for this podcast. But GoDaddy sent all of their employees an email saying, hey, we're going to get for, for as a change this year, we're going to give everybody a uh, an employee end of the year bonus. So click on the link here. I didn't read into great detail as to the, how they did it, but read, you know, click the link here or open this document to figure out how much your bonus was. Turned out to be a fish attest. So there were, there were no bonuses for the GoDaddy folks. It was a phishing attempt, phishing attempt, and apparently a lot of GoDaddy employees clicked on those links. So it goes to the importance of educating your personnel to what the threats are, making them understand they are the first line of defense for your company, and they need to understand the issues surrounding their access and how actors, cyber actors, both criminal cyber actors, nation-state cyber actors, as we'll see later, how it's important for them to understand they are being targeted to then have good password management to you know not give access to people over the phone who claim they are you know from IT service or whatever and and then that kind of nature so so that's that was number five the the Twitter account takeover in July number four is zoom bombing this is a new phenomenon this year because of the COVID pandemic and everybody working from home or doing school from home zoom bombing became a huge problem now zoom bombing if you're not aware of what it is essentially it is people who get access to your Zoom calls because let's say that you are a local municipality and you cannot you can no longer have your your town meetings in person you have to have them online so you send a link to everybody in your community saying here is our Zoom meeting for the town council meeting and here's how you get in there's no password so basically anybody in the world who has that Zoom account or that zoom meeting number can get into that zoom meeting so what has ha- what happened once they started doing this and, and uh, zoom became the big online platform or at least the most oh how do i say it's the most um um advertised i guess the most socially acceptable online platform during this whole time i mean there's a bunch of other ones you know you can still use skype my company uses go to meeting so there's a lot of a lot of them out there but zoom was the big one that took over simply because ease of use um, a lot of schools had it and, and so on. So anyway, it's a Microsoft product. But so I believe that's right. Uh, if I'm wrong, that's not, it's a Microsoft product. Correct. Uh, someone is, is welcome to email me and correct me that I'm not right about that, but that's fine. But so Zoom was what everybody was using to do these online meetings. And people were getting into these meetings because the, they weren't password protected initially. And they were posting pornography in the, in the, in the, in the, in the chat or the, the Zoom session, or they were, yelling and screaming over the presenters. It became a huge problem, but it highlighted how technology is provided to us very quickly, but without security in mind. In other words, if people had taken the time saying, hey, we're going to use this platform to do our online meetings, our online education, or whatever, but we need to look at the security precautions surrounding it. You know, if they'd realized that anybody in the world could get into their classrooms or into their town council meetings or into their business meetings, they may have stepped back in a second and said, well, maybe this isn't the best route to go. Maybe we need to make sure it's password protected. Maybe we need to add multi-factor authentication. Maybe we need to have some kind of other authenticating methodology to confirm that the people who we are inviting in are who we want in. There were a lot of folks that just, you know, said, hey, I'm going to have a Zoom call. You know, I'm a celebrity. I'm going to have a Zoom call. I want to talk to all my fans. And, and they got Zoom bombed. People would, would call in and, and or, or not or connect in and, you know, send pornography, scream, play loud music, really disrupt the Zoom call to the extent that they had to close it early. So this was a this highlighted 
the need not to run willy-nilly into new technology to fix a problem. Technology is great. You need it to resolve the problems we have here. It's, it's obviously Zoom, GoToMeeting, Skype. These are all valuable tools for business, for schools, for individuals to use to stay connected during this time when everybody's kind of locked in their house. But you have to then look at the security precautions around it because someone is always going to exploit that new technology. Not that Video conferencing is new technology, but it was being it was new in the extent of the amount of it being used. So as we go forward in 2021, there is going to be new technology being used to make businesses run quicker for people to communicate. Take the time to recognize what are the vulnerabilities of this system, how will bad actors utilize it to feed their needs, to do whatever that is they need to do to compromise systems, to get into accounts, whatever. Look to those and make sure you have the right security in place and educate the folks using it to be aware of the potential threats around it. So number four, Zoom bombing. Number three is a generalized a generalized incident because there were tons of them. And this is ransomware. There were ransomware attacks up the wazoo all over all year. And it's going to continue on. It's not going to like 2020 is going to end and ransomware is done. This is a very organized type of crime that organized crime groups are using to get money because it works. In other words, if you, uh, if a company gets hit with ransomware, most likely they are going to pay the, pay the ransom and chances are they're not going to let law enforcement know what happened. So it's hard to get actual numbers of ransomware attacks. In other words, how many ransomware, ransomware attacks were there? I don't know. I'm going to guess thousands to millions because some victims just don't report ransomware attacks because they pay the ransom, they get their stuff back, and they move on with their life, under, not understanding that the bad guys are going to come back at them because chances are most companies, once they have an incident, and if it's resolved by paying the ransom, getting their decryption keys, and getting all their data back, they don't take the time to fix their problem. Um, one example of uh, of a ransomware attack where they didn't do that was here in Huntsville, Huntsville City Schools did not pay the ransom. They instead, uh, apparently, from what I understand, still had access to student records. So they were still able to access that. They didn't lose it. Um, and so they were able to basically recognize that they could just spend the money to replace all the, replace and repair all the systems that had been impacted. Now, the problem with this, obviously, is this is an expense they did not intend to have. So for 2021, it's going to be a big budgetary deficit for for the for the Madison City Schools here in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, to deal with that because of what they had to pay to fix these systems, but I guess they did a uh, analysis and determined that was cheaper than paying whatever the ransom was. Um, and you know, the, the one way to make ransomware stop is for everyone to stop paying the ransom because then the bad guys will realize, well, this isn't working. We need to go somewhere else. But that is easier said than done because not everyone. Um, can do that. Some people, some organizations have to pay the ransom to get their data back. So here's some, some facts about ransomware um, that I kind of looked up real quick before this, just for your awareness so you can understand the, the depth and breadth of ransomware in general. So 50% of 582 cybersecurity professionals who were surveyed do not believe their organization is prepared to repel a ransomware attack. If I am a bad guy, that is fantastic news for me. That means 50% of the companies in the world, if, if we extrapolate this out to all companies, can't handle a ransomware attack. So chances are they're going to pay the ransom. So they can kind of boost that price. The source for that is a, a, a site called Pony Express. Um, another one from Dato is ransomware costs businesses more than $75 billion per year. 
This is why ransomware still exists and will exist because it is a lucrative crime. So $75 billion a year is what companies paid to deal with ransomware attacks. The average cost, according to Sophos, of a ransomware attack is currently $133,000. So take $75 billion divided by $133,000 and figure out what that is, and you kind of get an idea of perhaps roughly how many businesses were impacted uh, in the past year, and it's going to be a lot. 75% of companies impact, infected with ransomware were running end, up-to-date endpoint protection. What this means is they had technology on their system that was designed to stop this, to make sure this doesn't happen. And this goes to show that technology is valuable to protect your network, but it is not a silver bullet to stop it. So you have to, again, ransomware only works really because someone did something to cause the malware to function. So they clicked on a link, they opened a, a document that had malware attached to it, or they did some kind of methodology that allowed a bad guy into the network. Now it could be, you know, it could be a combination of the way business email compromise guys get into accounts. There's an account takeover, and once a bad guy's in the system, they can upload and upload um, ransomware to that corporate network at any time they want and then deploy it whenever they wanted. There was a company here in Birmingham that was a, a ransomware victim, and uh, the FBI advised them that they believed there was ransomware on their network, and here's how to take it off. Well, the problem was the company didn't believe that the FBI agent who called them was actually from the FBI, so the CIO of the company decided to email the special agent in charge of the Birmingham division to verify this agent's name and if they were actually a cyber agent. Now, keep in mind, they had contacted me initially, and I said, yes, that person is an FBI agent working cyber matters in Birmingham. You should listen to what they have to say. They didn't believe it. And so once the email was sent to the SAC, the bad guys who were already in the system saw that email, knew that someone was onto them, and they activated the ransomware. The company showed up the next day. All their systems were locked up. So, you know, ransomware is a huge problem if you're not prepared for it. If you have good backups that are disconnected from your network. In other words, the problem with ransomware now is some of the more... Um, sophisticated ransomware strains don't activate for up to 30 days because they want to get in your backup system so that when you pull your backups in, the ransomware malware comes with it. So it's kind of hard now to have backups that don't have the ransomware running. So you almost have to have disconnected backups that you have going back six, seven months that you can say at least at this point, we knew they probably weren't in six months ago. So we can back up here, but then you lose all the stuff in your network from for that six month period. So it's a hard one. To, it's a hard nut to crack, quite honestly. Uh, and this is why ransomware continues to be a huge problem because it's profitable, hard to defend, and uh, it, it changes over time. So ransomware, my number three uh, incident of the year. Uh, and number one, actually, let me, let me step back a second. I have a couple other notes on ransomware. I, I'd written this down on a Word document to read, and I had more stuff here to take. But So five of the ransomware victims, um, I'm sorry. So victims of the 11 biggest ransomware attacks spent at least $144.2 million on costs, ranging from investigating the attack, rebuilding networks, restoring backups to pay the rack hackers ransom, and putting preventative measures in place to avoid future incidents. The victims allegedly paid a ransom in seven of these cases. So seven of the 11 
paid the ransom. Uh, and so five of the ransomware victims were municipal governments, while the remaining spanned from legal manufacturing and financial services to IT services, facility management, and higher education. Eight of the affected entities that in this particular report were from the United States, two from England, one in Denmark. So and what we saw towards the end of the year was a lot of targeting of schools and healthcare facilities, especially with COVID-19 becoming a uh, obviously the, the main news article of the year. Um, bad guys recognize that you know, hospitals were going to be under a lot of stress. And so they decided to add to the stress by hitting them with ransomware attacks. Whereas in the past, hospitals and healthcare facilities were kind of off limits to ransomware guys because they were afraid that someone would, you know, be, would die from their ransomware attack. And that actually did happen in Germany finally this year um, is a hospital that a, a woman went to because she was having a um, medical event. Had the, she got turned away because the hospital was in the middle of a ransomware incident and couldn't accept her, and she died on the way to the second hospital. So we're going to see more of that as we go forward because ransomware, again, is going to be an ongoing thing. It probably could have been number one if not for what turned out to be number one. And uh, for my number two and number one events of the year, and I'm kind of cheating here, it is one event, and that is the SolarWinds event, which SolarWinds is a company that has 300,000 business customers at huge service. They provide software to businesses that help manage their network systems and information technology infrastructure. That should send a chill up your spine simply because if you're a bad guy, those are the systems you want access to. By getting access to SolarWinds directly, bad guys then had access to their 300,000 customers. Now, I did a podcast on this a week ago with a couple guys that are cybersecurity analysts that talk into depth as to how the SolarWinds attack occurred, what it does, and that kind of thing. You're welcome to go listen to that. I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts um, of this just to discuss the, ex the extent of the problem that SolarWinds poses, who did it, why they did it, and why we need to look, forward, look ahead to 2021 as this being the methodology that largely nation-state actors are going to use. But before I do that, I want to play a news clip from the CEO of FireEye, Kevin Mandy. And the reason I want to play this is because when Kevin Mandy speaks, I listen. He is, he is one of the top guys in cybersecurity for the world. I was fortunate enough in, when I was in the FBI to take a couple classes from Kevin when he was starting his career when he got out of the government. And he, he, he has obviously moved to bigger and better things since, since I met him 20 years ago. Um, but the thing that's interesting about this is I give FireEye a lot of credit. They were the first ones to note, to, to note that they had been a victim of this particular incident. But they were transparent in what it was and let people know, hey, this happened to us and here's what it was. But here's him on Face the Nation, and I want you just to kind of listen to this interview to get an understanding of, of, of what the solar winds incident really meant and why it's number two and number one. It's, it's the top two for me for 2021. The Trump administration has described this as an ongoing attack uh, and poses grave risk to the federal government, to state governments, to private institutions, critical infrastructure. Mm. It went undetected for nearly nine months. How should the public understand this? How significant is it? Right. Well, there's a lot of ways to look at this intrusion. And first and foremost, it's different than other ones that we commonly respond to. We respond to over a thousand breaches a year. And what separates this is who did it, 
how they did it and what they did when they got in. And I'll get to the who probably last, but when you look at the how, Margaret, that's what makes this totally unique. This was not a drive-by shooting on the information highway. This was a sniper round from somebody a mile away from your house. This was special operations, and it was going to take special operations to detect this breach. So the how they did it was in a way that was utterly clandestine, very difficult to tell. And quite frankly, it was a backdoor into the American supply chain that separates this from thousands of other cases that we've worked throughout our careers. Does it go back further than March? How long have hackers been inside the system? Well, so right now what we've observed with this latest campaign, first I think this threat actor wasn't a one and done. What I mean by that is I think these are folks that we've responded to in the 90s, in the early 2000s. It's a continuing game in cyberspace. You know, there's a time in our lives where the domains that we had espionage in or the domains that we had combat in or differences in were land, sea, air, then space, and now we have cyber. This is just one campaign in a long battle in cyberspace. But this campaign specifically has the earliest evidences of being designed in October of 2019 when code was changed in the SolarWinds Orion platform, but it was innocuous code. It was not a backdoor. Then sometime in March, the operators behind this attack did put malicious code into the supply chain, injected it in there, mm -hmm. and that is the, the uh, backdoor that impacted everybody. So let me talk right, stop right there and talk about what he's talking about there from actors from the 90s to the 2000s. He's talking about Russia, nation state actors. Uh, a lot of the attribution for this goes to Russia, which I'm sure is true because based on the, the methodology of what they did for this, their, their um, exquisite targeting of SolarWinds specifically is, is all is indicators of a nation state attack and likely Russia. A couple of things I'd add to this that he doesn't, I think he mentions in this particular face the nation clip and you can go, I got this off YouTube. You can find it. It's, a face, it's Kevin Mandia talking about SolarWinds and you can go re listen to the, he's got like three minutes left. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but the uniqueness of this particular attack, when he talks about supply chain, what he's talking about is the way that SolarWinds updates their system is they send out patches to everybody who's part of their their organi their their customer group. So they are in the supply chain for all these entities. In other words, if for all the government entities that were hit with SolarWinds, they use SolarWinds to update their their management systems, their IT systems, and SolarWinds would automatically send updates to to update those systems and the use of the software that SolarWinds provides. By getting into that update system, the bad guys were able to add code that all of these customers automatically downloaded as part of the update system. So they didn't have to hack any companies. They just had to get into SolarWinds and then inject this code into the update system that SolarWinds already had design and was already in place in all of these companies. So that is why this is, was such a huge intrusion, such a huge cyber incident, because it was one hack of one company that allowed the bad guys access to hundreds of thousands of companies if it had gone to that depth. I think 18,000 is the actual number of victims that they indicated uh, were ultimately targeted, but it's a huge problem. And I think it's something we're going to see 
duplicated going into 2021 is more companies that are part of the government and the critical national infrastructure supply chain. Well, they'll look to get into those organizations so they can use that already granted access that the that supply chain company provides to give them access in. And this actually honestly goes back to the Target breach of five years ago, the way that Target was breached in 2015 with all the credit cards were stolen was the bad guys got into the air conditioning repair company that Target used, put malware on a laptop that that particular HVAC company used. And when they went to service a Target location, and they plug their service laptop into the target system, code was deployed, which gave the bad guys access to target. They didn't target, they didn't hack target. They hacked the HVAC company. Same thing here. Department of Commerce, Department of Homeland Security were not breached individually. They were breached because the bad guys got in through SolarWinds. These companies updated their SolarWinds platform, and this information was downloaded onto the systems that gave the bad guys backdoor access to these companies. So I think you will see this uh, as a problem in 2021 where more companies like SolarWinds become targets and are victimized. And uh, so that is why that is SolarWinds is my number two and my number one because of the sophistication, the extent of it. And, and it's not, I'll be honest with you, it's not just Russia. I'm willing to bet that because commercial companies were targeted in this as well, that China is part of this somehow also. I don't know how China would have gotten in unless, well, I guess I have two, two different theories on this. You can pick the one you like. One, they worked with Russia on this particular problem. Russia and China worked together to get into SolarWinds. They shared the rewards that they got when they got in. Second way in which I hope is this is I hope my second way is is the one that got in because it makes me laugh a little more bit is that China had hacked Russia saw what they were doing in solar winds and piggybacked in now it's not funny because it's a good thing that that happened it's a bad thing that it happened but it's interesting that China would hack Russia to get the information that Russia used to hack the United States so it goes to the complexity of nation state actors this is why. If you want to prevent nation-state activity from hitting your system, you really need to have some kind of counterintelligence methodology in place to protect yourself, protect your company. Unfortunately, I don't see a lot of companies doing that. Um, and so, you know, maybe 2021, I can come up with a process to help people do that. And maybe that's something I should shoot for. So I will try to do that. So those are my top five for the year. Again, number five was uh, the Twitter account takeover. Number four, Zoom bombing. Number three, ransomware. And number two and number one together was the SolarWinds incident of 2020. So I want to thank you very much for listening and uh, for being a part of the Cyber Guy podcast family. I appreciate all that you, I appreciate everyone who listens and has told friends to listen because I'm really here to, to help people understand what the cyber threats are and to prevent them from becoming a victim. I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. Uh, New Year's is coming up, so I hope you have a safe New Year's season as well. If you have any thoughts on the podcast or cybersecurity questions, feel free to email me at darren at thecyberguy.com. That, e- that email address is in the information notes for the podcast. I appreciate feedback and thoughts on future topics. Upcoming podcasts will include a discussion with an FBI subject matter expert on business email compromise, a discussion with a company on an unhackable hard drive device, and as always, thoughts on the new and emerging cyber threats we face. Make sure you understand the cyber threats that are impacting you, assess your risk overall, and proceed wisely. 